0: You know, whether we realise it or not, we live in really quite a broken world. Yeah, I, I, there was a, I won't get this right, but um, I can't remember the guy's name now. My brain's gone. One of, one of the actors, and he made this comment and he said, everybody is going through something that you do not know about. So he said, be kind always. Robin Williams, that was it. He's the one who said that. And the challenge is that although we want the world to be fixed and stay fixed, it's actually not fixed and it's getting worse. And everybody is going through something. And and one of the things that for many years as part of my job that I kind of struggled to do were funerals and visitations and talking with people in difficult circumstances. Until God said something to me, it comes out of a scripture in 2 Timothy. It says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. And what I want to say, because it doesn't just apply to me, it applies to all of us, that part of our calling as believers is to bear the suffering of the world. Now, that sounds a really odd thing, but the world needs people who are connected to God, who can sit with them and bring some comfort, some peace, or just the presence of sitting with them. I was reading a book from a Um, uh, Church of England bishop and he made this comment that some of his most successful pastoral visits were where he only sat in the room and said nothing. And rather than looking at those things as I used to as being part of the challenging aspect of what I do and what we do as believers it's actually a privilege for us that we can share in the suffering of the world. And I think that's really, really important. I think we need to recognize that God has given us a role in that where we can help people. And I tell you, that ministry of bringing people peace, of helping people through tough times, you do not have to go across the world. You do not have to go to another country to enact that. That will be your neighbor's. That'll be your work colleagues, that'll be your family members, that'll be just about everybody you meet anywhere. When you get beyond the pleasantries, people are going through stuff. Now, I want to add something on top of that. Church, and by church, I don't mean this building, I mean us, the people of God, because the Bible says that the church is the people. This place, when we get together, we should be able to be the most honest and the most open with one another. It's often a tragedy for me that you meet someone say, how are you? And you get the prepared, masked response. You know, that I'm fine. And actually, they're not fine. But there's this kind of thing, well, I can't tell you I'm not fine. So you kind of go through this, well, okay, if I ask five times, then they probably will tell me what it's really like. And this should be a safe space. This should be a space where we can come in and cry. Where we can come in and say, you know what, man, it's been just an awful week. Or I'm going through something difficult or it's tough. That's what we are here for, to bear one another's burdens. And so, I want to say to you, don't shy away from it. See it as a privilege of God. God will equip you. I tell you, God will equip you. And if you don't know what to say, you're in the same boat that I'm in. And the simple thing is say nothing. Just say, hey, I'm really sorry. Can I sit with you for a bit? Make a cup of tea or, you know. And God brings that to us. And so, I want to encourage you this morning. I know our world is broken and it's difficult, but we are here to support one another. And the challenge is why I like this picture of many lights. I cannot do that for all of you all of the time. Yeah, There are things that I need to deal with that take quite a bit of my time, and we need to be here for each other. I was so encouraged during the time that I was ill that everybody stood in the gap and did the stuff. I thought, well, hey, if we can do it when necessity is here, we can do it anytime. And so I want to encourage you this morning. God especially wants to equip you to help the hurting and to help the suffering and to be with them. And, and you, don't, you don't have to have all the words because nobody does. I've yet to meet, whenever I talk to a church leader and say, hey, guys, how do you deal with all that? I say, I don't know. I just go and sit there. And God works in the situation. God gives you what to say. So that's kind of a bit of a, a side thing of, of what I felt really God is saying. But it leads in to what I want to share this morning. That I wanted just to spend a few minutes talking about what I see God doing in our church. Um, since the start of this year, I don't know whether you felt it, but I have felt there's been a real shift spiritually. Now, my goal, believe it or not, for the last 12 years is that my job is to equip you. That's my job. Everybody thinks my job is out there. No, my job is in here. Yeah. Because if you're not being equipped, then you are the guys who are mostly out there. Yeah. And so my job is to equip people, but one of the things that i would not taken into account, and only this year I felt God show me, is that a lot of us haven't even believed we could do anything. It's not about doing something, it's about actually getting to a position where we believe God can use me. We look in the mirror and we say, God can never use me, I've got this problem, that problem, I'm sinful, and I'm not good at this, I'm not good at that, and we we excuse ourselves because we think i'm just not worth anything and i am getting a sense that god is changing that that god is saying actually you're very valuable to me and you can do anything you can do absolutely anything i i passionately believe that everybody who follows jesus can do amazing things why do i believe that well Because God equips. We'll talk about that. And so it's not about me. It's actually never been about me. I am, I don't know whether I've shared it before, I'm actually quite a reluctant leader. I only lead because God says that's what I want you to do. If it was my choice, I'd be up at the back on the balcony. Yeah, I'm quite happy for others to lead. But I do it because that's what God has called me to. And I don't feel too bad about that, because Moses, who I quite respect, he was similar. You know, he, I mean, he tried every excuse in the book to get out of it. I mean, if you read his account when he's talking with God, and God says, this is what I want you to do, he says, well, I'm not a public speaker. And God says, well, that's not a problem, because I made your mouth. He goes, oh, darn. You know, and you can see him thinking through, well, and in the end, the truth comes out. He says, I don't want to do it. But God still uses him. in, And he he became one of the greatest leaders the world has ever seen. He was phenomenal. If you want to read about Moses in the Old Testament, read through. And so I've already mentioned this. The the, the challenge of church life is, is that I'm on a platform... And you're all sitting in rows in in chairs, and it gives the impression that the action is here, and you're spectators. And I think for too long, church has functioned in the main like that. There have been a few people here or there. If I'm honest, this will be really good for Alan Hill like this. Maybe we should build our church like a brethren church, which is in a big circle. Yeah. So that actually, I think, I can't remember whether synagogues are like that as well, where they have all the chairs facing into the centre. So they're square, but they have north, south, east, west kind of a thing. But it's this idea that we are all adopted into God's family, each one of us, yeah. And in God's family, there is no, well, you are better than that one, and and that one's better than this one. No, we're all the same. We are all the same in the family of God. Why are we all the same? Because the way we came in is the same way we all came in, and that is because God loved us, and he chose us, and we repented, and he brought us in, and it was nothing to do with ourselves, it was to do with the grace and the gift of God. That the tragedy of church that is platform based is that we lose the richness of what God has got here. One of the things that you'll see quite a lot if you read through the Bible is that in the Old Testament, especially, and in the New Testament, in the writings, you've got these, these guys in the Old Testament called the prophets. And The prophets, these were God's mouthpiece. So God chose these guys and he said, you know, if it was David, he says, David, I've called you to be a prophet and I now want you to go to this group of people and I want you to speak my word to them. And God gave them what they had to share. And what I love about the prophets is there is a whole colourful characteristic of individual prophets. Jonah, God says go that way and when God turned back, he was legging it that way. He didn't want to do it. He ran. Yeah. And what you see as well is, did you know that God's word, when God uses you, he uses your personality. You know that. You know, Dave Shields, I'll be really careful because this goes online and then he'll be listening, so I'll get a phone call. (laughs) You know, Dave Shields has the gifting of a pastor. My gifting is more leadership, teaching. And when God gives a word, so when God gives a word to somebody who's pastoral, and let's say it's a word of rebuke, you know, if God says to people, you know, what you're doing is wrong and you need to repent, when it comes through a pastor, it is, oh, my lovely sheep, I love you so much. Oh, I love you more than you know, and what you're doing is not good, and you need to change, and you need to come because I love you, and I love you, and I love you. When it comes through a teacher-leader thing, it's more you, rotten scoundrels. (laughs) Yeah? What you're doing is not good, it's going to lead to hell, you need to turn around, you need to say you're sorry, and you need to follow God. It's actually exactly the same word, but it is coloured by temperament. And we know those people, don't we? We know those people who love us very much, but when they come and you're in pain, they add more pain, even though they don't intend to, because that's who they are. And you know other people who are so loving, they can't discipline anybody. And so God wants to use who you are. And I'm saying that because God is interested in you. And everything that you've gone through in life has fitted you for what he wants you to do. It means you can do it. And wouldn't it be boring in church if everybody was exactly the same? You know, if we just cloned, you know, had a church of clones here and everything was the same, man, it would be boring. I love hearing different people preach. I love to hear the different testimonies, the different way people sing, the different way people pray. There is a richness in the variety that God has put and all of that is here. So when people come and say, wow, I like this. Everybody's connected, everybody's involved And so there is this idea that God wants to use everyone in the church. Now, there is a a phrase for this. It's called the priesthood of all believers. Now, let me unpack that a little bit. We've had this idea, let me kind of go in a bit more detail. We've had this idea that only a few people can minister in a church. Do you know what the Greek word for minister actually means? Yes, top of that. It means to serve. If we translated the word minister literally how it is, it simply means to serve. Now, it seems a bit ludicrous to say only a few people can serve, everybody can serve. It depends how and what in how we serve. The challenge we've got is that our Bible have two Testaments. So if you have a Protestant Bible, which is the predominant Bible, it's split into kind of two bits. One is, uh, what's the Old Testament, 39 books and the other one's 27? Somebody correct me. Yeah, I got that right. I know them in order, but I, can, I never know the number. <laughs> and so we've got the Old Testament and the New Testament. What is a Testament? It's an agreement. A testament is an agreement. So where we say Old and New Testament, we could also say Old and New Covenant, because covenant is also an agreement. Yeah. So when somebody gets married, they are making an agreement or a covenant. And this contains two, two agreements. Now, why am I saying that? Because the old agreement is not the same as the new agreement. And believe it or not, the old agreement doesn't apply to us. Unless you're Jewish with a temple, the Old Testament doesn't apply to you. Doesn't mean that it's not truth, doesn't mean we don't learn from it, doesn't mean that there aren't examples to follow, but we don't follow that testament because if we did... If we followed the Old Testament, man, we'd have all dead animals lined up here and there'd be a blazing fire going here and we'd appoint Ben and Natalie to be the priests and they'd be slicing it all up and they'd be getting the fat and they'd be whacking it on and it'll be burning up. Um, can you imagine that job? Yeah, it does. We walked through the... Um, market in in West Brom, and I was in in Birmingham the other uh, last week, and I walked through the meat market, man, they've got these skulls sitting there, and hooves, and you know, all this stuff, and if you're not used to it, the smell, and what have you, I thought, man, this is what it would have been like. Now, we are not part of that agreement. Why are we not part of that agreement? Because God knew that the old agreement wasn't working. The people weren't doing what the old agreement said, and so the old agreement was there to to keep the people in a good position until the new agreement could come in, and the new agreement comes in with Jesus. And so where in the Old Testament you had the priest, how how was the priest chosen? God said, God said, uh, Aaron and his sons and his family of his tribe, they are the only ones who can be the priests. The Levites, if you're a Levite, you can serve in the temple. If you're not a Levite, you can't. Now, the problem is, in the New Testament, God comes, and because Jesus is the high priest now, it is a new agreement, and in that agreement, he says this. And you are living stones that God is building into a spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. And then in 1 Peter 2.9, he says, For you are a chosen people, you are royal priests, a holy nation. So the idea is this, that where in the Old Testament it was specific chosen people, in the New Testament it is all of the people of God. I mean, this was written to, so this was Peter writing it, and if you go to the beginning of the letter, he says, I am writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, which is now modern Turkey. Now, I don't believe that it's just for those specific Christians who lived in Turkey 2,000 years ago. It is for every single believer you are a priest. If somebody says, hey, does anybody know a priest? You can say, yeah, that's me. You're a priest. You're not a priest in the sense that you have to wear all of these weird robes and sacrifice animals, but you're a priest in that Jesus is the high priest and you represent him wherever you are. Now, I like that. I like that. Every believer is a priest in God's church. Priests are not some Christians. Priests make up the whole body of Jesus Christ. And what I'm saying is that you are free to serve God's call and God's gift in your life in whatever capacity he calls you in. You don't have to say, well, you know, I'm not called here or there, or, well, I don't have this gift or that gift. You ask him where do you want me to serve? How do you want me to serve? Now, does that mean anyone can do anything? And my answer is yes, with provisos. Saying, well, Simon, why are there some provisos? Well, it's quite simple. Those provisos are to do that you can do anything within God's call and God's gift to you and if you meet the character requirements for some of the roles that God wants people to do. So believe it or not, when you read through the New Testament, there are certain roles in God's church where he is added on, they have to be these kind of people. We'll, we'll talk about that in a moment. Let's talk about God's call and gift. Ephesians 2 verse 8 says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. So the important thing is believing and God supplies the grace. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done so no one can boast about it. That is the massive difference between the Old and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, you were the people of God because of what you did. You made your sacrifices, you brought your money in, you did this, you did that, and that made you a good Jew, and that made you part of God's people. But now, because that covenant is gone, we are in a covenant where Jesus says, I will take all the punishment for everything that you've done wrong, if you believe and you turn away from those wrong things. And then on that basis, Jesus brings us into the family. So it's no longer how I'm behaving. Did you know that whether you read your Bible every day, whether you pray every day, whether you come to church every week, that has no bearing on your salvation. You are not a better Christian if you come to church or if you read your Bible, etc. Now, I would say doing those things is a reflection that God has saved you, but those things do not save you. Why am I saying that? Because it's really easy, even in our kind of world, for people to think God will only accept me if I've read the Bible this week. God will only listen to me if I've been praying properly each week. He'll only do this if I am a good little Christian. No, he will do it because Jesus died on the cross and I have faith in him. Because unless you're massively different from me, I stuff up every single week. Not a week goes by where I don't do something where I have to say, Lord, I've done something wrong. And if it's on the basis of me being perfect, I'll resign right now. But it's not on that. It's on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ. And God uses us because he calls us and he gifts us. Now, he goes on to say this. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good Things he planned for us long ago to do. So, what does that tell me? That tells me that for each one of us, God has already planned things that he wants us to do. Here's the good news it's not my job to tell you what you should be doing. That's why I don't do that. There was an idea in church life that people will only do stuff if the pastor asks them and tells them to do it, and I don't like that. It's not my job. My job is to help you to discern and discover what is God already planned for you to do. I mean, wouldn't it be bad saying to God, I'm really sorry, but Natalie can't do that, God, because I've got something else lined up. God's saying, no, I've already got stuff that I want Natalie to do that was planned before she was even born. Because God knows us and he equips us. Hebrews 13:20. Now this is the thing that I really like. When God calls you, he equips you. When God calls you, he equips you. Hebrews 13:20 20 to 21. Now may the God of peace, who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, and ratified an eternal covenant with his blood, may he equip you with all you need for doing His will. Why do I like that? We do not have the ability in ourselves to fulfill what God wants us to do. If there is something you should read in the Old Testament and in the New Testament is that everything that God expects people to do is impossible. Imagine finding a shepherd in the countryside in Wales and saying to him, "I want you to go to the Ukraine and bring out two million people." He' looking at you and saying, "I'm a shepherd dude. I'm here in Wales. What do you expect me to do? That's impossible. That's, that was Moses' task. He was in a different country, and God says, "I want you to go to Egypt and I want you to bring out all the slaves. I want you to speak to the leader, tell him off, and bring them all out." And he's saying, no way. But you know what? He did it. Why did he do it? He did it because God equipped him to do it. Not because he had it within himself to do it. And the challenge of this is this, that quite often, I don't know whether you've ever done this, but I've done this, we measure what needs doing by what we feel capable of doing. We kind of say, well... I'm not going to volunteer and do that because I just can't do it. Well, can you imagine God standing there with a whole host of people saying, right, which of you here would like to go and rescue two million people from slavery in this country and, by the way, the leader won't let them go? Everybody go. I don't have the skills for that. I'm not a communicator. I don't know how to manage two million people. Uh, I, I, my sat-nav doesn't work in that country, blah, blah, blah. And so what I'm saying to you is this, that that God's call on your life will seem completely impossible. If you'd have seen me when God called me to ever think I would be a pastor, I would have laughed really hard. But God equips. Now, that gives me great confidence. Because it means, it doesn't matter what your, your abilities are, if God calls you to something, then he will equip you for it. Now... Where there's a slight change to what you might have heard, most people have done courses on discover your gift, develop your gift. I think it's the wrong way around. You discover your call first. I mean, you don't need a gift until you know what you're doing, do you? I mean, can you imagine you work out your gift and you think, okay, I've got my gift now. My gift is um, digging holes in the ground and planting things, etc. And then God says, I want you to go and build a building. And you go, well, oh, that, that, that doesn't, because God says, I will equip you. You know, when Moses was on the mountain with God and they had to build, um, it was called the ark where God would live in, God then says, Bezalel, this was a guy, Bezalel and Oholiab, they were two men, and God said, I have given them the ability to make all the things that I've asked you to do. Because God equipped and God will do the same to you. If God calls you as a missionary, he will equip you. If God calls you into pastoral work, he will equip you. If God calls you to preach, he will equip you. It, it isn't based on your natural abilities. You will never, ever, ever fulfill God's call in your life in your flesh. You won't do it. It's one of my concerns in church life over the last 20 years that it's moved into business principles and that's not how we operate. We operate on God. I mean, mean, this is what for me is one of the most humorous things in the Gospels and Jesus is that Jesus chose 12 guys to be his disciples. Have a guess which one he gave the management of the money. The guy who was a thief. You're going to sit and hold on. You know, we're a charity. We are a registered charity. And every trustee has to fill in forms and stuff to say that they're, they're financially good and, and that they've never been done for fraud and this, that, and the other. I mean, uh, Judas wouldn't have gotten anywhere. But in God's economy, when he calls you, he equips you. And that's why I would say to you the most dangerous thing you can ever do is say to God, I can't do that. Because God will say to you, but I've prepared that specifically for you. You know, if you don't do something, it may never get done. Because God says, I've got nobody else. You are uniquely you. I've made you who you are. I've given you the experiences that I've given you. I've called you to this. And if you don't do it, it will not be done in the way that I want it doing, because you're the one. Now, I'm not saying that to make you feel guilty, but just to know how precious you are in God's sight. Now, the final area I mentioned was character. (coughs) There are certain callings that have character qualifications. Here's one of them. You'll find this in the, the book of Titus, 1 verse 5 to 9. I left you on the island of Crete so that you could complete your work there and appoint elders in each town as I instructed you. An elder must live a blameless life. He must be faithful to his wife and his children must, um, sorry, and his children must be believers who don't have a reputation for being wild or rebellious. A church leader is a manager of God's household, so he must live a blameless life. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered. He must not be a heavy drinker. He must not be violent or dishonest with money. Rather, he must enjoy having guests in his home. Uh, he must love what is good, he must live wisely and be just, he must live a devout and disciplined life, he must have a strong belief in the trustworthy message he was taught, then he will be able to encourage others with wholesome teaching and show those who oppose it where they are wrong. You see, now now here's the thing, none of those requirements are dependent on your financial means, or your social means, or your ethnicity. They are all to do with character. It's open to all of us. But you get this idea that God has some callings where he says, if you want to be an elder, this is what comes with it. So there's a a, a challenge in some of those things. So all I'm saying is that this morning, God wants to use you. I want you to to, to think in that, that God will use you. And and every time the thought comes in, but I can't think, well, who's going to equip me? God. God is going to give you what you need. The thing that God looks for is for people who will say, yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do that. You know, I did it many moons ago. I was 16 when I became a Christian. Um, When I was 19... I felt God say to me, he wanted me to go into full-time ministry. Now, I am glad, I am really glad, that God did not show me the next 30 years. I'm glad he only showed me the next five. If he showed me the next 30, I'd have been running behind Jonah. But in just showing the next step, that was sufficient for me. And so I want to encourage you, God, whatever God calls you to do, he will call you and equip you to do it. And, And here's the thing. I don't want you to think in terms of the walls of this building. I honestly believe sitting in the church, there are ministries that we haven't thought of that God wants to release. Yeah. They're ministries that only you can do. And I think we'll see some amazing things happen. You know, we have over the history of church, we have so many parachurch organizations that come in like the professionals to do stuff. And all of that makes people think, I can't do it. But actually, God has placed in our church every gift we need. And you'll hear, we've got our AGM, that will come up. It's not this Tuesday, it'll be in probably the 1st of May. We need to just fix that date, I'll let you know next week. But when we talk in our AGM, we're going to be talking about this. We need people who will be part of a pastoral care team. Is that you? We need people who can do evangelism. Is that you? You know, there are so many different things where God has said, this is what the church should do. But on top of that, what about the things that God has placed in your heart? We spoke about Nehemiah a few uh, weeks ago, and God had put into Nehemiah what he should do. What's in your heart to do? You might come up and say, hey, Simon, I just have this thing that I would like to do X. And you know what I'll say? Praise God. You lead it through, we'll get it done. And I think we will see God do amazing things because all the lights are coming on in the church. And what people will see when they come into the church is a church where everybody is engaged, everybody is fulfilled, and everybody is being used by God. I am so encouraged on a Sunday morning just by the involvement of people. I'm glad it is not just happening up here. I'm glad it is coming, and I want to encourage you. You might think, well, I'd like to... To offer something on a Sunday, well, ask God. You know, I remember the first time ever that I gave a prophetic word in church. I've been praying, saying, Lord, I want to give a prophetic word in church. But when the moment came, I was choking. You know, the moment came, I thought, now's the moment. And, and I, was, uh, I was dilly-dallying in my mind so much the opportunity went. And then God gave the opportunity again. And, and I kind of did it, but I'd fluffed it so many times. But you ask God and God will equip you and God will do it. And so when I look at Hope Church, when I see the future, I think we've turned a corner and I think our future is brighter now than it has ever been simply because God is beginning to uh, pump into you that you are able. You can do it. He has called you. And, you know, there is no restrictions. I'm looking for that from the children who are next door, you know, to those of you who are 80 plus, hey, you know, until you get to heaven, your job here is not finished. It hasn't. And, and even though our world doesn't respect old people in the way it used to, let me tell you, I have a massive respect for those of you who are retired and older and you're still in the faith because finishing well is not an easy thing. You know, Solomon the greatest king who ever lived finished badly. And I mean, he wrote Proverbs. And so, you know, we've got, and if you're one of those guys, you've been long in the faith, you've retired, let me tell you, your responsibility is to encourage, to coach, to mentor, to build up the other people, to get engaged with the younger people and the younger mums and the younger dads and, and to say to them, hey, can I walk with you? Those things are so, so important. And especially in a world that is so split. People don't even know their neighbours today. And so I want to encourage you, ask God. Be open to God and see what he will do. Let's pray. I'm going to finish there.